Happy Easter, everyone. Hey, we're going to be uh, reading the Easter story or looking at it in Luke 24. The last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, if you have your Bibles or phone apps, um, you can turn to that. We're not going to read through the entire chapter because it's very lengthy, uh, but we'll be following uh, through it, though. Um, <clears throat> if you were to outline this chapter, it's pretty easy. Um, the first part of Luke 24 talks about the resurrection, talks about the empty tomb. So you can label it the tomb. And then the next section, two men are on the road to Emmaus. We can label that the road. The third section would be um, Jesus appears to his disciples in the room. You can call that the room. And the last, he appears before his disciples, before his ascension, 40 days after his resurrection. Call that the mount. So it could be the, uh, the tomb, the road, the room, and the mount. But I'm not going to use that outline today. Instead, I'll be um, borrowing from uh, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, just a thought in one of his chapters in his book, just a section of it. I found some, an outline there. Uh, but it, imagine if you received an, a letter from a law firm and you opened it and it said, hey, you have inherited millions from a deceased uncle. Uncle Bob, we'll call him. And you'd say, I don't know an Uncle Bob, but okay. Um, you might be a little skeptical, especially if they ask for your credit card number, your routing number. Uh, but you would probably check into it. There are people who are skeptical about Jesus' resurrection. How, how can a guy die and come back to life? But as a result of his resurrection, we're promised eternal life and a perfect place, perfect body one day. Um, and people are skeptical, but... I would hope that they would at least look into it. Well, we're going to be looking into it this morning. And as I mentioned, we're using an outline. Uh, what does Jesus' resurrection tell us about our future? And here's the outline. The future is real. Future is personal. Future is purposeful. The future is certain. And the future is, is wonderful. Uh, so that's our outline. First, what do I mean? The future is real. If you had lived 300 years before Christ and then up until the time of Christ and the people, then you would have been influenced by the Epicureans and the Stoics who believed that when we die, then we need not fear anything because we'll be gone. Like circle of life, you know, Lion King, hi um, we're just going to return to the earth. Dust in the wind will be a rock sinking to the bottom of the lake. That's who we are, nothing to fear in that. Well, others believe that we'll continue to exist, but in some sort of ethereal, mystical, shadowy, um, impersonal sense, you know? Again, we'll become one with the universe or whatnot. Um, but Jesus' resurrection tells us that the future is real and it's personal. We are eternal. Jesus rose in bodily form. And we will too after him because he paved the way. So we read in verse 36 of chapter 24 when Jesus appeared before his disciples in the room, the third part of this chapter. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And I got thinking as I read this, why in the world would Luke include the fish and chips story in this, you know? Uh, Because it happened, because this was a real story. Jesus was essentially saying, look at me. I got flesh and bones. Touch my scars here. Um, Ghosts do not hunger. Uh, Ghosts do not have flesh and bones, nor do hallucinations, if you may be having one. And and ghosts do not hunger. Do you have any fish? And he ate before them because he was physically alive. And because he rose from the dead, then we can be certain that our future is real as well. Secondly, our future is personal. Now, there were 10 post-resurrection accounts that we read in the Gospels. 10 times Jesus appeared before groups, one time to a group of 500. But in this chapter alone, we see five appearances uh, in the tomb, or, or by the tomb when he first arose, uh, to, to Mary Magdalene, uh, We don't see that in this gospel, but we saw the angels appear before uh, the women, and then we we see Jesus appear before the men on the road to Emmaus, and then we see Jesus appear before the disciples in the room, and then at the end, before he ascended, he met once again with the disciples and gave them his his parting message. So, uh, there were the women at the tomb. Two angels greeted them and said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? In verse 5. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, I find it interesting every year as I read this account again that Jesus would choose uh, women to be his first witnesses of his resurrection. And when they shared this message, in verse 11, we're told that the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. But why would God choose women, especially in that culture when women had little influence and little clout? Uh, They were considered as property to their husbands. Um, Their husbands could tell them when they could or could not leave the house. Many of them were quarantined to their homes and isolated. Uh, Women were not permitted to testify in courts of law Um because they were considered overly emotional and unreliable. So why would God choose them to testify to the risen Jesus? This attitude hasn't changed much over the years. Um, In the 1800s, when Charles Spurgeon was, late 1800s, he was preaching around the world, and he went into the East. And this Eastern Hindu woman made this comment, surely the Bible that you preach from Pastor Spurgeon was written by a woman, to which he asked, why do you say that? Because it says so many kind things for women. Other, our experts 
never refer to us but with some reproach and contempt. Yet God chose the women. Uh, and then we know from John's gospel that Mary Magdalene was not only the first to be the witness, but first eyewitness of the risen Lord. This is Mary Magdalene, who was a former prostitute, and she was demon-possessed. She was demonized. She was a demoniac. And if you've ever seen any specials on, on TV, the Science Channel, or met anyone who was demon-possessed, you would know that these people are weird. They're strange. They're scary. They're delusional. They're erratic. And they're certainly outcasts. And yet Mary was the first person that God said, I'm going to choose her to be my first eyewitness of the risen Lord so that the world may believe. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right. And yet Jesus called Mary not just woman, not just, hey, Miss Magdalene, but he said, Mary, Mary, it's me. Because Jesus' resurrection is personal. And then the angel said to the women at the tomb, uh, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why Peter? Uh, why was he tacked on the end? Or the two men walking on the road to Emmaus, they gave this message to the disciples in the room in verse 34. It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, who is Peter, Simon Peter. On two occasions, Simon Peter singled out in God's word. Why? Because probably he carried the greatest amount of despair and regret for having denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus died and rose again to reestablish relationship with Peter as well because his resurrection is personal. The deepest desire in the human heart is to be known, is to be loved, is to be accepted. We fear that when we die, we might lose everything and be forgotten. Everyone who's dear to us will never see again. Uh, they will become a part of the universe, or they will turn into dust, or they will enter some impersonal existence, becoming one with the universe. That's what a lot of people believe. The Epicureans and Stoics believe that. If you belong to the Baha'i religion, then your future is a state of being. There's no personal heaven or hell. You become a state of being. For Hindus, Buddhists, and Jainists, they believe in reincarnation, cycles of births and rebirths. When you die, you are born into another body, and your former body is gone and forgotten. The ones you loved and invested in, gone forever because they're in new bodies now. And so you go in the endless cycle for thousands of years until finally you reach this liberation of enlightenment and then you are set free to become one with the universe or whatever. In Islam, Muslims believe that only the most righteous men will go to paradise and they will receive how many? 72 virgins to accompany them. If you're a righteous woman, God will give you one male companion to walk with you. But these new companions, they'll be strangers to you. They won't be the people you loved on earth. They'll just be other people who will, whatever. Only in Christianity, because of Christ's resurrection, do we talk about restoration to our personal relationships. Not only with Jesus forever who accepts us and receives us, but with our loved ones. 
We won't be forgotten. We won't be rejected. And we won't be alone. That's good news. Our future is personal. And thirdly, our future is purposeful. It has purpose. Not only on this earth, but for eternity. The lives of those who witnessed Jesus all of a sudden had this immense amount of purpose and passion when Jesus appeared to them to make Christ known and uh, to know God and to love God and to love others. We read in verse 9, the women, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 others and to all the others. And then the two on the road to Emmaus, when they met Jesus, then the two told what happened on the way and when they recognized Jesus, when they broke bread with him. And then the disciples were told upon, after um, Jesus shared the message with them to go preach to all nations beginning in Jerusalem and you'll be my witnesses for all these things. In other words, whenever they saw the risen Jesus, they couldn't keep a lid on it. They had to talk about it. Nobody could sit on this news. If you read in the book of Acts after the Gospels when Jesus departed and the Spirit was given to the church, they began to share. Peter and Paul cannot keep their mouth shut about the resurrection of Christ. They're always talking about the resurrection of the living Jesus. Purpose. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is when we pray, Lord, may thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Bring heaven down to earth. We have purpose now in our existence here. And it's an incredible, significant purpose. D. James Kennedy said, before the advent of Christianity, there were no organized charitable efforts in the world at large. Uh, because of Jesus' example and his teaching and his resurrection, Jesus changed the way uh, the world reacted to the poor and to the widowed and the orphaned. Christianity, uh, because of Christ's resurrection, it, there was the inception of nursing care facilities and charities and the Red Cross, um, mental health institutions, uh, nurseries, hospitals, almost all started by committed Christian followers. And in fact, as early as 325 AD, during the Nicene Council, the Christians were instructed wherever there's a, a cathedral or a church, then we should have a hospital to serve those who are in need, and also to uh, double as shelters for the poor. It was through the vision and hard work of Christians that institutions like Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Tabor College and Sterling College and Central Christian College, McPherson College, all of these were started by believers in Christ. In fact, the first 123 colleges and universities were started by devout believers in Christ because they knew the value of educating even the common people, much less instructing them in the word of, of God. But our purpose extends into eternity, as I said as well. Dr. Jack, uh, Jack, Hayford, Jack Hayford, he was visiting a friend in a hospital room who was uh, nearing his death. He only had some days to live. 
even maybe hours. And as he sat beside the bed, he asked his friend Carl, he said, how are you feeling, Carl? And Carl was a man of deep faith and commitment to Christ. And he was a very experienced and highly trained um, lighting director who worked for CBS. And so he was able to muster up the strength and say, Pastor Jack, you know when you're in my business, it's the combination of lights and the, and the skill of blending things together in order to create special effects. That's what my job has been all about, he said. He said, well, this morning I woke up in the, quiet of, in the middle of the night and in the quiet of my heart, Jesus spoke to me and he said, Carl, Carl, how would you like to direct a sunset? Our life doesn't end when we end on earth. We go on to serve Christ and, and serve the bride of Christ for eternity. We have purpose. Our future is purposeful. And then fourthly, our future is certain. Uh, Pastor Glenn McDonald was visiting with a group of Bedouin uh, shepherds and you know their goat herders around Egypt and Israel and as he was visiting these camps an interpreter asked if anyone in the group had any questions and so McDonald raised his hand and said I have a question if someone in your clan does something to bring dishonor to the clan maybe like running away with someone that you don't approve of then what's the process by which they can be restored into community they, they started chattering in Arabic, these Bedouins, and after, within 10 seconds, they provided the answer. They shrugged their shoulders and said, there is no process. Those who fail in such a manner can never return to the clan. They can never be forgiven and will forever remain outside the community. One of the deepest fears, again, is to be excluded. It haunts every playground. It haunts teenagers during their adolescent years. Um, it, 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 it enters the corporate boardrooms, even churches and, and families and households. What if we fail so disastrously that our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members refuse to take us back in? What if we're rejected forever? What if God excludes us because of our sin? Well, what good is it if we know our future is real and personal, and it has purpose, but we don't have certainty that we will make it, that God will accept us. Well, this Easter we celebrate the gospel, which means good news. This is good news. We can be certain that the future of our future resurrection, because Jesus paved the way for us. In verse 45, we read that Jesus opened their minds, the disciples in the room, and so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repent, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus was saying, hey guys, I died to offer you forgiveness and I rose from the dead to offer you life, which will extend to eternity. If I purchase something at Walmart and, um, and I, I realize, man, I forgot something, 
or, or if I go to Orchlands or somewhere, you know, I, I look at my, I, I'll ask for a receipt and I get a receipt like this and I put it in the bag and I carry around whatever I just purchased as I'm walking around Walmart just in case someone happens to stop me and say, uh, did you buy that already or are you just, you know, whatever. Yep, yeah, here, got a receipt. Purchased it, see, here's proof. When Jesus died on the cross, when he rose again, he gave us a big receipt and it was stamped in his blood saying, paid for. What did Jesus pay for? He paid for the penalty of our sin uh, so that we could be forgiven and so that we could inherit eternal life. The verse that is commonly used is Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is death, death meaning eternal separation. It means um, we have no hope, you know, eternal separation from God. The wages of our sin will result in death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This receipt, this gift is, is from God that we can't deserve or earn, but it leads to eternal life. So when we receive Christ and when we receive this gift he gives us, that we are justified, we're sanctified, and one day we'll be glorified. Those are 10 cent words in the church. We're justified means legally, when God looks at us, we are forgiven once and for all. Um, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. When God looks at us, he sees me as righteous in his sight. We're justified. Well, how come I continue to mess up and sin and lose my temper and whatever? Um, and well, then we're not perfected yet, but we're being sanctified. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we're becoming like him. The more and more we're, we are being sanctified into his righteousness. So we're forgiven once at justified, or, or we are um, justified once, I should say, but we're forgiven on a regular basis. Whenever we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and our unrighteousness. Um, in, in, on Thursday, I mentioned that Jesus was in the upper room and, um, and when people go to a dinner party, oftentimes they would take baths and get ready. And, and so in a typical dinner party, they'd go to this, in, in Jesus' day, they'd go to this house and they would eat dinner. But they'd be clean except their feet would be dirty because they had just walked through the dusty roads to the house. And so there would be a household servant there to wash everybody's feet. On the night of the Last Supper, there was no household servant. And so after they ate with dirty feet, Jesus got up and he took on the role of the servant and washed the feet of his disciples. And when he got to Peter, Peter said, uh-uh, uh-uh, you ain't gonna wash my feet, Jesus. You're Messiah, you're king. Servants don't, or kings don't do that. And to which Jesus responded, Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Okay, then Jesus, if you're gonna wash my feet, then wash my hands and my head as well. Wash my body. To which Jesus responded, hey, those people who have been given a bath, they don't need another bath. They just need their feet cleaned. In other words, Peter, you are clean. You are justified. You are made right because you trust in me. But sometimes you mess up and you have dirty feet. Your sin. And that needs to be washed and forgiven. So that was the message that Peter received. He's forgiven he's being justified, he's going to be sanctified, and then finally, in the future, one day we will be glorified. 
which means we will one day experience perfection. And, and that's great, great news. If you, if you think of sports highlights, like of Michael Jordan up here, um, if you watch one of his sports highlights of his life review, then you would think Michael Jordan never missed because they only see him dunking and passing and, and making three-pointers and, and buzzer beaters and whatnot. That's what, how sports highlights work. When we're glorified, we're told that we'll be, celebrate all the good things we did for Christ. All the positive things that we did on earth for Christ will be remembered and celebrated. There will be an award ceremony that day. All the negative and bad things we've done, well, they were taken care of at the cross. As far as the east is from the west, Jesus said, so far have I forgiven your sins and removed them from you. For those who know Christ, our sins are forgiven and will be glorified one day. Jesus suffered the death which was ours that we might receive the life which was his. But as with any gift, our forgiveness and our eternal life and our righteousness only comes to us as we accept it. If I were to give my daughters like $10 each, here you go, want it? Yeah, and then what would you say? You'd say, what? You'd say, thank you. Didn't we teach you? <laughs> and then they would, they would say, more, just $10? No. I'm not going to give this to you, by the way. <clears throat> but you'd, you'd take it and you'd receive it and you'd say, thank you. Um, they could say, I don't, I don't want your gift. I don't want your lousy money. I, I can make my own money, you know. But whenever you receive the Christmas or birthday gift or Christmas Easter basket or whatever, um, then you say, thank you, and you receive it. It's nothing you did to deserve it or earn it. It's given to you. Why is it that most people on earth are rejecting the gift of God? They're saying, hey, I don't need, I don't need that crutch. I can make it on my own. Who cares what the Jesus did, whatever, you know? Jesus said there's no other way to forgiveness. There's no other way to eternal life. Because then you'll have to pay your own debt. The wages of your sin will mean eternal separation. But my gift to you is eternal life. It's my gift to you. Most people are rejecting it. You are, have received it. If you're watching online, Lord willing, you have received the gift of God. And we call that grace. <clears throat> the future is certain because of what Jesus has done for us. And then finally, the future is unimaginably wonderful. Verse 50. When he had led them out in the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them when he was on the mount before he ascended into heaven. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. The disciples were given a foretaste of that future joy, that future glorification. Because after seeing the risen Lord, they were so filled with joy, they couldn't stop praising God. For many, death is the end. It's despair. The funeral home, the tomb, it's like, I don't even want to think about it. Because <clears throat> we're going to be <clears throat> dust in the wind. For others, the resurrection is just about reincarnation and maybe getting some 72 virgins one day. For others, it means purgatory or torment, or it's just an impersonal existence. But, but for Christians who believe in the resurrected Christ, it's 
it is personal. It's wonderfully glorious. I've read a lot of stories of people who have had near-death experiences and they've given a glimpse of heaven. And with every experience that I've read, and I've had a couple books in my office of personal accounts, they come back to tell that, man, I knew people there. I was known there. I was loved. In fact, if given the choice, all of them would have chosen to remain there rather than come back to their earthly bodies and existences. For followers of Christ, the worst thing that can happen to us is the best thing that can happen to us. Because we'll be restored. What will we be restored to? Relationship with Christ. He will forgive us, accepts us. We'll be reunited with loved ones who we will recognize and they will recognize us. It won't be impersonal. We will get, if we don't, haven't had close friendships on the earth, no problem because we'll get what we've always longed for for eternity. We'll, there'll be perfect uh, unity and friendship and love. If you've never been married on earth and wanted to, no problem. You'll be married in heaven for eternity as the bride of Christ. If you miss foods on, if you think you'll miss foods on the earth, no problem. There'll be banquets and feasts and festivals throughout eternity. When we miss our homes on earth, not when you see your mansion in glory. I heard a story of an elderly gentleman who leaned over to kiss his aged wife good morning, only to hear her declare, "Uh, don't touch me, I'm dead. What are you talking about? You're fine? We're both lying here, we're talking to each other. You're not dead, dear. Oh no, I'm dead, I'm sure of it. The man said, how can you be so sure? Because I woke up this morning and nothing hurts. In heaven, our health will be restored to perfection. We'll be the age we've always wanted to remain forever. We'll get the body that we've always wanted but never had. I will have thick and flowing hair. (laughs) And we can't imagine anything better than what we'll receive at our resurrection. Why wouldn't anyone want this? It'd be better than inheriting millions from Uncle Bob. I know that people are skeptical, but why wouldn't anyone want to inquire and even check into this to see if it's valid? Because our future is bright and it's available to us as a gift from our Savior, and that's what we celebrate this morning. But we need to receive, we need to accept it. Let's pray. Lord, the resurrection of of Jesus tells us that our future is real and it's personal, Lord. We'll be known and we will know. It'll be purposeful for eternity. It's a certain thing for those who know Christ and it's available. And thank you, Lord, that it's the most wonderful and glorious thing that we can ever imagine because we'll be restored will be restored. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has any doubt whatsoever this morning that they can be assured of their eternal life and their relationship with you. I pray that Easter 2021 will be the day that they said, you know, Jesus, I don't have assurance that I know you or have received this gift that you offer. 
But this morning, I, I confess, I want to know you. Please come into my life. Would you forgive my sins? Would you make me righteous? Justify me. Begin to sanctify me so that one day I can experience glorification in your presence. Lord, I want to know you. Change my life. In Christ's name, amen.